Hello, this is Dan Bender, executive producer of the podcast Singles Network. Today I'm excited to present Single Living, a podcast that brings you straight talk on everything that concerns today's singles, including relationships, dating, travel, and financial security. Single Living is hosted by Rich Goss, a well-respected expert in the singles industry. He is the author of eight books on dating and has lectured on the subject in over 50 colleges and universities. Rich is frequently interviewed by the news media, including Oprah, CNN, Fox News, and the Wall Street Journal, to name just a few. And now, here's the host of Single Living, Rich Goss. Today, my guest is Dr. Lonnie Barback. Welcome, Lonnie. It's good to be talking to you. Lonnie is the author of many books, and she happens to be the co-author of a book available through Amazon.com, which is called Going the Distance. She also has CDs that are available on HypnosisNetwork.com. Let's get back to the book Going the Distance, Lonnie. Why did you write the book? Well, originally, David Geisinger and I wrote Going the Distance because you know, we were looking at the divorce rate and we were looking at the difficulties that couples were having in um, in working out their relationship, and we realized that a lot of these things started way, way, way early in the relationship. And we wanted to give couples tools that are particularly useful for couples in new relationships to have them negotiate issues that um, that have a lot to do with the way that they talk with each other. You know, just the whole idea of how you communicate with your partner. We hear so much about it's all about communication. But, you know, people will say, for example, use I messages. Talk about how you feel. Say, I feel. And one of the most common issues with couples is that somebody will say, I feel that you don't care about me. Or I feel um, that you really don't want to do that anyway. And I would guess that it's mainly the woman who makes that complaint? No. I mean, any of these things, both couples do that. The, The issue is it's not a feeling at all, even though I use the word I feel. It was about what was going on with my partner. And what happens when you do that is that your partner ends up feeling defensive. Right. And then they start arguing. And then you get into a dialogue that is nothing about feelings. So when you really look at a relationship that's going to work on, you know, an intimate relationship that's going to make it over the long haul, it's all about vulnerability. You've got to talk about your feelings, not about the other person's feelings. That's very safe. But if you talk about your own feelings, like I felt invisible when you made that decision and didn't talk to me about it, as opposed to I feel that you don't care what my opinion is. When you talk about your own feelings, you are vulnerable. Making yourself vulnerable in that way is the first step. The second step is that your partner has to be able to hear it. They have to be able to hear it, to be able to understand it, and let you know that they do understand it. And if those two things are not in place... Um, you end up in relationships where people are angry. And what is anger? Anger is a way of putting up a wall so that you don't feel hurt and you push the person away. It's just the opposite of intimacy, which is when you're vulnerable and you bring yourself forward. So basically, um, you know, there are tools that are not that difficult but um, require some thinking and once you kind of get them down, it enables you to talk to your partner in a whole other way. It doesn't mean that there won't be issues, but it allows you to negotiate the issues in a way that you both feel heard and understood 
and cared about, which is what is at the essence of an intimate relationship. Getting back to the anger that you're talking about, Lonnie, what you're saying is when people say, well, I'm sharing my feelings with you, here's my anger, they're really right. not sharing their genuine, deep feelings. They're just sharing uh, feelings on the surface. Well, what I'm saying is that anger is a feeling. It's a mask for something that's more vulnerable. 100% right. of the time. I mean, people have said to me, oh, it couldn't be 100% of the time, and I've never found <laughs> anybody yet who's been able to find the anger that wasn't right. in an intimate relationship. I'm not talking about yes. anger outside of it, but in an intimate relationship where you didn't get angry because your feelings got stepped on, you know, and you felt hurt in some way or vulnerable in some way, and then put up this wall to make yourself safe. That's what anger does. So it really, if if you take that, point of view and then you say I'm feeling angry at my partner or irritated or annoyed any of those words are just minor you know lesser degrees of anger but instead say what is the vulnerable feeling that's going on inside of me god you know I felt I felt really hurt I felt I felt unimportant I felt undesirable I you know I I felt really misinterpreted I felt you know all sorts of things that yes. are underneath it that are more vulnerable Okay. And what other tips do you have for couples who are hoping to go the distance? Uh, there are other tips. Well, um, another um, concept that uh, David and I talk about in, in going the distance and some of the other work that we do is the, um, the world's uh, leading expert. Somehow, uh, in relationships, when you've been with somebody for any amount of time, you you think that you know them better than they know themselves, <laughs> you know? And we yes. don't even, you know, it's not that we're conscious of this, but we're with the person so much that you then start to anticipate what they're going to say or what they're going to do or how they're going to respond. And then you act as if you were right. Yes. So I had a woman who was coming home and hitting some traffic, and she was supposed to pick her husband up for... Um, an appointment with me, and uh, she thought, if I tell him about the traffic and it being difficult to go up there, he's going to say, well, just come up here anyway. So she took that. So when she called him, she already had irritation in her voice because she was irritated that he was going to tell her to come up there. He heard the irritation in her voice and felt upset and rudely treated because he just got on the phone and now he's being talked to in this way. Yes. So it came from a place where she had already anticipated as opposed to saying, you know, I'm you know, caught in traffic. Would you mind meeting me down here? Because you have to come back this way anyway or, or something like that. And allowing for a conversation. But as soon as you think you know what the other person is thinking or feeling and act as if it's true, there is no dialogue. Yes. You don't have to have it because you've had it in your own head. Right. And when the couple doesn't have a since it's all about the dialogue. Intimacy is built on the sharing of vulnerable feelings. You can't do that unless you're talking. So that's another way that is very commonly um, couples uh, create difficulties in a relationship that don't exist. And you can do that because not even in a new relationship, you can have a previous partner that would respond in a certain way. And so you anticipate that this partner will also. Now, many of our, many of our listeners, of course, are singles, since this is the Singles Podcasting Network. Can we apply some of your advice to singles who are very early in a relationship? Let's say it's the first date. What kind of advice would you give singles on a first date? 
Well, you know, I mean, on a first date, you obviously don't know this person. So you're just checking out to see who they are and, you know, how you feel about them and what things you have in common, getting a little information about them, all sorts of things like that. So, you know, a first date is, is more of feeling somebody out. The thing that I would recommend on a first date and every other date is that you're your true self. You know, if you really believe something and you really feel a certain way about something, talk about it that way, as opposed to trying to be in a way that you imagine the person you're with would want you to be. Don't you run the risk of losing them, though, if you start talking about some of the taboo subjects on the first date, you know, things like sex, politics, so forth? Aren't you supposed to kind of wait until you build the intimacy before you can get into sensitive material? Well, you know, you didn't. You're the one who was talking about sensitive material. I was simply yes. talking about being honest about who you were. Right. You be honest about who you were on any subject. That doesn't okay. mean you have to talk about every subject, but any subject that you talk about. If you're talking about how you truly feel, if you lose the person, meaning that they don't really see eye to eye with you and don't really care about you, it's something that was going to come out later on anyway. Yes. So you haven't lost anything. You've simply moved on more quickly than you might have and actually saved time. Yes. Because when, and so many people do this, is they just imagine that the person wants somebody else and they act in that way. And, and what happens later on is that either the partner starts to distrust you because, wait a second, you're not really the way that you came across. And so trust is already being broken. Or, you know, you can't, run a secret life forever, you know, yes. Think you're, you know, you're, you have to be yourself in a relationship. And then if you really don't match, they're going to find out anyway. Yes. So, and, and if you are honest, since intimacy is built on being vulnerable, right. which is if you're going to be really honest about yourself, you're being vulnerable. Otherwise right. you wouldn't be protecting yourself, trying to be somebody else. Yes. That vulnerability is what invites the person into being interested in you. So it creates the excitement in the relationship. Yeah, it creates a real, it, it creates a, a level of interest that is deeper. You know, you people want to be seen in a relationship. They want to be felt. They want to be touched at a deeper level. They don't just want to have an intellectual discussion about the movie that they saw. Right. There's more that they want, and it is that sharing of how you really feel. So if you're telling your date about a story in which, you know, that you had feelings in the story, and, and you let them know this is awkward for you or you learned this on this particular situation or this, that invites them in. They want to know more about you. They feel invited into who you are and you're automatically moving to a level where you feel known and you feel like you know the other person. And that's leading to intimacy. And speaking of intimacy, how about physical intimacy? How intimate should people become early on in a relationship? Do you have any recommendations as to when sex should uh, be more appropriate in a relationship? You know, again, there is no should on this because it's totally individual. There's, there's some people who feel that, you know, sex on a first date is fine and it works and they're together 50 years later. Yes. And there are other people who feel that it isn't and... Um, want to know the person because sex for them is much more of an emotional um, connection on a more intimate feeling level that they don't feel can be developed in a first date. So they want to have that sense of trust and solidarity, and that takes longer to build. 
And uh, it depends upon where you are also in your life. There's some people who've had sex on first dates and decide that didn't work for them and want to try something different with a, with a relationship at this point in their lives. So you really have to look at where you are. And again, like anything else in a, a new relationship, you have to figure out where are the two of us going to meet? How do we deal with it if it's different? How do we deal with it if, for example, he wants to have sex on the first date and she doesn't? You know, how are they, how are they going to work that out? Yeah, the old rule of thumb was three dates. Supposedly, if uh, they didn't have sex the first three dates, the man decided, well, I guess she's just not interested in me romantically. I have to move on. And a lot of women felt tremendous pressure that the magical time again seemed to be that third date. Do you find that's true today? You know, again, there's, you know, I would say that it's really about letting your partner know how you feel. So if you're there and you're thinking it's a third date, I was hoping we'd have sex, and you're not saying anything, and then in your head, if sex doesn't happen, then you're thinking, well, then she's not really interested in me, and then you move on. You haven't had the discussion that needs to happen if you're going to have a kind of relationship. But this is a tough thing to discuss, isn't it, with somebody you're just getting to know? It's hard for people to broach the subject of sex, isn't it? It's hard to broach a lot of subjects. You know, um, Dave and I are working on a book called Loving Dangerously, and it's exactly about that. It's dangerous because you're opening yourself up. At some point, it's true. You're going to have to do that. At some point, you're going to be talking about things that are tricky and uncomfortable. And at this level, you can say, I'm really turned on to you. How do you feel? You know, she might say, gee, you know, I, I, really, I really like you, and I, I feel really interested in you. I don't feel ready for sex yet but I'd love to explore it further and get to know you better. Or she might say, I'm not feeling that kind of a connection, you know, but, you know, a friendship would feel more like something that would be right for me. But usually if you've gotten to the, if you've gotten to the third date with somebody and they're still interested, something is going on. So talking about it is, is fine because it takes you to the next level. Well, I know that a lot of men complain that they get involved with women and it's very platonic and they want to move into the sexual realm, but they find that it's really uncomfortable to do that. And a lot of women, they think, are taking advantage of them. They like to be taken out to, to the fancy restaurants and to the theater and so forth, and they feel exploited. And so a lot of men tend to be very insistent to having sex, let's say, by the third date, because they've had bad experiences in the past of being exploited by a woman who really had no interest in him other than as a, a person to spend money on her and take her out in the evening. And I would suggest talking about exactly that. Yes. Which is, here's the concern for me, because it may not even be for him that he wants, to, that he has to have sex with her on this date. Right. He simply doesn't want to be exploited. He doesn't yes. want to go down some road that really doesn't feel good to him. So he's trying to solve that by having sex so he can say, okay, this is where it is. He could actually get to the same place in terms of talking about he's been exploited, that doesn't feel good. You know, he, he'd like to be in a relationship that's really going to move further. Sex is one way for him to know that. How does she feel about this? So as long as they discuss things, that's the key, to discuss yeah. these things rather than to have all these resentments inside, keeping them cooped up inside, and eventually they poison the relationship. Exactly. Or these rules, which are, well, if, I'm, if this is no sex on the third date, then I'm being exploited. Or if I don't get her to have sex, then I'm going to be exploited. Or Do you know what I'm saying? It's like yes. those may not be relevant to this particular person who you may find out is saying, I've never been so interested in someone. And for me, um, I've wrecked relationships by having sex too early. And I don't want to do that again. I really want to make sure that this is, I want to do what I think is going to give this 
relationship the best chance of making it for, for the long term. And I think that's not getting into sex too soon so that you really have a sense of really building up trust and knowing each other and moving into it more slowly. Yes. And then how about talking about sex early in the relationship, asking your partner about their past sex history? Is that something you recommend people talk about pretty early on in the dating relationship? Well, you know, again, it depends upon if you know, people are different in how they feel about it. Because some people don't feel actually that comfortable hearing about somebody else's sexual exploits. Right. They'd rather not hear the details of it. Um, they may want to talk about things in a more uh, general way, like what do you what do you like sexually? What turns you on? You know, what kinds of things have, you know do you enjoy? What what do you see in your future in a sexual relationship? What um, what makes you happy? What do you worry about? And those kinds of discussions are really useful. And you can do that very early on. I mean, as long as it's, it depends upon if it's experienced as pressure. I'm talking to you about sex because I'm going to, I'm trying to get to have sex with you. As opposed to, I'm talking to you about sex because I really want to know how you feel about that just as I talk to you about, you know, how do you feel about, you know, gardening and how do you feel about um, children and how do you feel about politics and how do you feel about what novels have you read and, you know, what movies do you like? Well, you know, Lonnie, my guess is that most people would feel very uncomfortable talking about sex before they are sexually intimate. I think you're recommending something that uh, people should consider doing as a change, a different way of dating people, because most people wait to have the sex first, and then they start talking about it. Yeah, there's, you know, it can be very sexy to talk about sex, and you don't have to talk about it clinically. Yes. You know, you can just talk about, you know, you can talk about a fun experience that you had in your life that was a, a surprise sexually, or you can, you know, you, but you can talk about sex in a titillating way. Yes. What was, what was the most unusual thing you ever did sexually? Right. And that can be actually a very interesting kind of foreplay. But most couples don't talk about sex until they've been sexual, and, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. It just may be an easier way to get into it. Do you say sex is in a relationship? Is it as important as some of the other things, or is it just something that's uh, exaggerated in terms of importance in a relationship? It's like sex and money. You know, um, it sometimes is not all that important unless you don't have enough of it. Okay. Uh, so, so sex can sometimes assumes greater importance when there's less of it or there's a problem in the area. And again, you know, and this again, I keep going. It's, it, it has to do with the individuals involved. Yes. You can ask one person, where would you put sex on your list of priorities? Right. And somebody might put it as number one, and somebody else might put it as number nine. And in, in your experience with couples, do you find that the men complain more about the lack of sex or the women? It depends. If, if the person who's complaining about the lack of sex is the one who's not getting it. Yes. Who, who has the higher sex drive in right. some cases, and that could easily be a woman, um, or because there's other issues in the relationship that are getting in the way of sex. And, and what are some of those issues that get in the way of sex? Uh, issues that get in the way of sex uh, often are uh, issues of feeling really upset with your partner because you're not feeling heard, you're not feeling seen, you're not feeling respected, uh, you're feeling misunderstood, maybe you're not uh, saying what's going on for you and then uh, in some way your partner is then treating you in ways that you're not feeling good about. So it has to do with the um, emotional issues that are not getting uh, dealt with. And so you're building up anger, 
um, you're building up hurt, you're distancing, and when you don't feel close emotionally and you don't feel safe, you often don't feel sexual. Yes. So those, those are the kinds of things that, are, that get in the way. Sort of the, you know, when I start to see couples in therapy, you know, high percentage of them aren't having sex or not having sex very often. And that's a natural outcome for a relationship that is in serious trouble. So the solution is not to have more sex. The solution is to deal with the issues that are preventing the frequency of sex. Exactly. Now, sometimes you may have a couple where one person simply has a higher frequency of need for sex than the other person does. It's sort of like, how often would you like to go to the movies? Well, for me, it's three times a week. For you, it's once a week. Yes. We might differ on that. And, but in when sex, it becomes a much more important issue when we have a difference because you know, I'm not going out to the movies alone here, so by myself right. or with other people. Exactly. Uh, so, and while masturbation can play a part in that difference, there's also a place where the, that it does require a lot of talking about it and a lot of working of it out. Otherwise, one person tends to feel unloved and undesirable. The other person tends to feel inadequate, you know, because they're not interested enough. So it, it, there's, a, there's a, a problem that can easily occur simply because of a, a, just a basic difference in need. And, of course, we have differences in all sorts of areas, sex being one of them. So when you have couples in therapy with you and there is that problem of the frequency need, one partner needs sex more often than the other, is masturbation often a recommendation you give to solve that problem? That can, that can be one um, assist. It can be having one person being involved sexually to a lesser degree than the others so that one person might say, well, I'm not orgasm or I don't need to be stimulated, but let me you know, play with you and get you off and you can enjoy it. Is another way. Then there's also a way of both of them sort of taking a step back and seeing that if the relationship is going to work for both of them, neither one is going to be 100% happy in the frequency, meaning right. that the person with a lesser desire is going to have to stretch and have sex a little bit more than they want to for yes. it to work for the other partner. And the other partner is going to have to let go and understand and accept that they're going to have sex a little bit less than they want to for it to and, work. And how important is it to really interview somebody extensively before you get involved with them so that you're sure that you're compatible with one another? Is there a way of finding out in advance before you get too heavily involved whether or not you can go the distance? I, I would be a multimillionaire <laughs> if I could figure that one out. Yes. <laughs> in going the distance, there's a very good um, questionnaire that we have that couples um, can take together yes. to look and see uh, how they line up on um, lots of dif different areas and really be able to talk. It, it really shows you what areas that you have difficulties in so that you can start to look at those and, and work through them. But remember that sometimes there, there are issues that are, that are problems, but the working through them can make you a lot closer. You're not yes. going to find a relationship that has no issues in it. There, it just doesn't exist. You have two different people with two different points of view, with two different genetics and two different, you know, sets of likes and biochemistry and everything else. So, and that's part of the interest in a relationship is that's kind of what keeps it interesting. Otherwise, you know, you'd have nothing to talk about. <laughs> you, go, you go around being bored. So it's the working out of these issues that are that's sort of a lifelong process and yes. it can take you closer rather than tear you apart if it's done right. well. Tell us a little bit about your hypnosis CDs. I know that uh, they're available on hypnosisnetwork.com. 
Right. I did two CDs, one, um, both of them with Joel Block, on, uh, one's on a rapid ejaculation and the other is on uh, for erection dysfunction. So both of them are ways for men to uh, be able to listen to some tapes and uh, CDs and uh, help them with those kinds of issues. Can you share with us some of the advice that you give men who have either of those two problems? Well, there's two things. One of the... Um, the CD package has uh, steps that Joel Block um, gives you, and the other part is a hypnosis induction that I do. The, I can't tell you about the hypnosis induction because that's kind of a you know sort of an event in and of itself. It's not yes. so much didactic as it is experiential. Um, but uh, Joel's steps on um, rapid ejaculation, sort of enable men to learn about their own ejaculation through masturbation and be able to lengthen uh, their own stimulation so that when they're with a partner, they've already learned a lot about how they're feeling. Um, One of the things that I do for both of those issues is have men be uh, really conscious of being this is going to sound really weird, but being in their body when they're making love. Oftentimes what happens is that you're anxious. Am I going to ejaculate rapidly or am I going to lose my erection? And those thoughts actually have you out of your body because you're in your head thinking. If you feel like you're lined up with your feet and your feet, your legs and your legs, your torso and your torso, your hands and your hands, your arms and your arms, your head right inside your head, looking out through the orbits of your eyes, you're actually centered in your physical body, which is where you are responding to the feelings and the stimulation that you're getting while you're making love. So moving from inside your body um, allows you to be much more present, and being much more present gets rid of the anxiety, which is the trigger for either ejaculating rapidly or losing an erection. So it's a it's sort of a an interesting tack to take. And what happens is that I've worked with a lot of men uh, who are rapid ejaculators whose partners have said, you know, my partner's just not a very good lover. I always feel like it's kind of mechanical, which is true for a lot of men who rapidly ejaculate because they're trying to do the right thing and they're trying to be a good lover, which is making them anxious, and then they're worried about ejaculating rapidly. Well, interestingly, when they get really in their own body and they're very present inside themselves, um, that they start touching their partner from inside themselves rather than how they ought to do it. And their partner feels much more um, loved and uh, feels more connected in the lovemaking because the man is more present in the lovemaking. And often that process is more relaxing and then he's more relaxed and doesn't ejaculate rapidly. And it tends to work fairly well. Great. We're wrapping up our conversation with Dr. Lonnie Barback. Lonnie is the author, or I should say co-author with David Geisinger of Going the Distance, which is available through Amazon.com. You also have CDs available on uh, premature ejaculation, and uh, that's available through the hypnosisnetwork.com. Any last piece of advice you have for all those singles out there that are hoping to go the distance someday? Just that there are, you know, that, that take your time, First of all, to meet somebody that you really feel good about, that 
um, you know, sort of if you decide in haste to move forward in this relationship, you can repent at your leisure. And huh. it's better to take your time and make sure that the relationship is right. And if you're having difficulties in the beginning and if there are issues that don't seem to get resolved, see a therapist. Um, David and I both work with couples before they decide to get married. As a matter of fact, a lot of them come in because they can't decide should they or should they not because there are these issues that are niggling at them. And if people want to get a hold of you for possible therapy, how would they do that, Lonnie? Uh, well, they could um, either find, they could call me um, on my private practice, which is 415-383-0755, and David Geisinger is 415-751-6282. And okay. but, you know, people will be all over the country, so we're just in San Francisco. I, I would suggest that... Um, that they talk to friends and find somebody who's seen a therapist because therapists that work with couples are different from those who work with individuals and okay. get a therapist that knows how to work with couples and do it early on before uh, patterns start, you know, really um, to get in engraved in the relationship. Okay. Thank you very much, Dr. Lonnie Barback. Thank you. Thank you.